Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland. On this episode, our old friend and my boss at Cubs Insider, Evan Altman, comes back on. And, well, we just talk about all things Cubs, everything that's been going on this offseason, the lack of spending, the Addison Russell Russell stuff, um, Joe Madden's future. We talk about a lot of stuff in this. Um, Of course, you can follow Evan on Twitter at D Evan Altman. And here is Evan. Uh, welcome back, Evan, to Holy Cow. It's good to be here. It's uh, nice to kind of jump back into the, the season with, um, at least as we're recording this, with baseball literally right around the corner. It's uh, it's, it's kind of wild that there's going to be some actual games coming up. I'm, I'm not actually ready for it, I don't think. Yep. Less than 24 hours away when we're recording this from the Cubs game, so. Yay. All right, so uh, there's a, a lot of stuff's happened this offseason, so not sure where exactly to jump in, but um, let's start with something that uh, you at Cubs Insider have been on from pretty much, I would say, November, and that's that the Cubs weren't going to spend any money this offseason. And, I mean, now basically Tom Ricketts has just come out and publicly just stated we have no money to spend, which – I don't know if that's true, but um, just what are your thoughts on this whole budget crunch that's been going on all off season? Yeah, it's it's really wild, and and as you said, um, it was actually a Halloween night um, that I had was just kind of talking with somebody and had gotten a little bit of a, a tip on like, hey, um, people might need to start resetting their expectations because they're not going to spend. Um, you know, whether we want to call it a source or whatever. Right. And so, um, and at the time I kind of put it out there, uh, just because, you know, certain things with, and again, I know it sounds really goofy and, and especially in the blogging community, I think a lot of people get, get flack for it, you know, like, Oh, sources, sources. Right. But, um, you know, some of these things are, are legitimate and people kind of want to be protected from stuff. So at the time it was more, you know, just kind of put it out there as, as a sense that you have. And then, um, but anyway, it, you know, and I, and I remember putting it on Twitter, like, Hey, call me crazy, but I don't think, and then the response was like, you're crazy. You're crazy. They're getting Harper. They're going after, you know, and, um, nah, here we are in late February and, uh, and, and it's just been kind of wild, right? Because all we've been left with is this speculation because in the midst of all this, you know, we've seen them sign a new TV deal that's been rumored and, and talked about for really for the last five years, ever since the initial WGN contract ran out. They've been running on this kind of hodgepodge for the last four four years now, and this will be the last year of it. So they got the deal with Sinclair. You know, that theoretically should have given them more money, but it really doesn't. Um, you know, they they didn't have a playoff run of any real sort this last year, and so all those new restaurants, all the new bars, the buildings, the rickets have put up didn't generate any income. And, you know, you also look at a few of their big free agent signings the last few years haven't paid off. And I, and I think it's all been this really wild kind of a perfect storm, if you will, that just led to this sort of desire 
not to spend. And, and they talk about there being no money in the budget, which is really wild because you look back at what Theo Epstein said at the end of last year, or, or I'm sorry, the beginning of last year um, when they signed you Darvish, you know, so we're talking basically exactly a year ago with him talking about, yeah, it limits our flexibility, but if the right player comes along, the right impact, we'll, we'll have the money there. You know, Tom Ricketts is a great owner. He understands he got a taste of winning and he knows what that's like. And, and so you got this sense that if there was a move, they would find ways to make it. And, you know, some of that maybe is on Epstein. Maybe he thought he could trade some of these guys and he, and he couldn't. And, and that was, you know, perhaps Ricketts had said to him, Hey, yeah, I'm cool with it. If you can move ABC, I, I don't know, but at some point, whether it's because Theo Epstein was not able to alter his side of the equation or because the ownership moved the goalposts on them, something changed in the last year. Something has absolutely changed with the calculus involving the baseball payroll and the team isn't, and I don't expect them to be honest about it. Right. So I don't mean to keep rambling, but this is not something where we say, yeah, Oh yeah. Every team just opens up. Nobody opens up the books. Uh, the Padres actually have been really honest about their Machado dealings, but, but none of these teams is, is ever going to tell you exactly what they're doing. And so we'll never know for certain, but given the money that major league baseball is making, the $10.3 billion revenues of which the Cubs, you know, make up a disproportionate amount uh, relative to the average team. The money that the Ricketts have put into the, you know, the baseball budget might not have money, but when you put $700 million into renovations and, and buildings around the ballpark, it's kind of hard to say you can't come up with another 20 or 30 for a ball player. So it's just, it's, it's really it's a tough thing for people to swallow. Nobody's asking for them to spend every single dime on baseball. There are other things uh, around the park that they, that they want to put some money into and that's fine, but it just, you know, just be honest about it or, or shoot us straight. And it just doesn't feel, it feels disingenuous and, and that's due to a lot of things. So that was a much longer answer than probably what you wanted. Um, but I figured I'd just kind of go in on it. Well, yeah, actually you were kind of, Jumping on an area I was going to ask you about anyway, which is this whole idea of moving the goalposts. Like, you know, Theo Epstein talking about even like this postseason press conference coming into this offseason where he made some very strong, like the tone he took. And now I've discussed this with a couple of our other colleagues from Cubs Insider, uh, Brandon and Corey. But if you listen to that press conference, it sounds like stuff is going to be changed in a big way. And then you've got the, you know, they take the option on Cole Hamels for $20 million. And it just doesn't feel like Theo was making moves. Like you thought the budget budget was going to be cut off, but maybe like you said, maybe it was just a misread by him of the situation. Yeah. And it, and it may have been right. And I, and I think, you know, certainly those who are, who are skeptical and it's, it is really kind of funny because you've got people on both sides and, and one of the, it's, it's a good and a bad thing. It's nice to have achieved um, some level. And, and I, um, uh, my kids think I'm famous because people know who I am, which is really, I'm not at all. Right. But there's a certain level of notoriety that kind of comes with writing publicly or whatever. Right. So I'm, uh, that, that what I'm trying to say is I maybe have a little bit more interaction with people, uh, a, a wide variety of fans than I would if I wasn't involved 
with this blog thing. And, and I don't say that as anything about me individually, but what I'm saying is I'm, I'm probably open to more viewpoints than I would be if I just allowed myself um, to stay within maybe a circle of friends or something. Um, and, and what I mean by that is I'm privy to a few more points that that are maybe um, from a greater spectrum. And so there's a ton of people, and it's really wild because you get some people who just hate what the Ricketts family is doing. And then you've got others who say, hey, they brought a World Series. Uh, they're good in my book forever. And and the same variety of people with Theo Epstein. Hey, he brought the team a World Series. On the other hand, though, and what's really wild is you've got just a ton of detractors who all of a sudden are kind of going revisionist history. And like it's almost as if the team won in spite of things that Theo Epstein has done and, and Jed Hoyer has done and, and Joe Madden. And it's really kind of wild when you see all this. But all that said, I think there's some stuff on both sides of this. So there's no one, you know, it's not just a matter of like, oh, Theo's perfect and the Ricketts family is screwing him over with the budget or, you know, oh, the Ricketts family is, is totally correct and Theo is screwing it all up. But I think there is a measure of there were some things, you know, I think we, what we saw last year, right, with Tyler Chatwood just completely imploding with Wilson Contreras kind of falling apart at the plate with Ian Happ's strikeout numbers jumping way up. And, and Theo Epstein even talked about it. He said, you know, we've explored lots of options. Jason Hayward is probably the the biggest one in terms of being able to move some salary. And, and Epstein talked about that, uh, I think it was early January, about we've explored a bunch of, of deals to move money, um, to, to remove payroll from the books. And it hasn't happened, and it's tough. And this is these are kind of this is me paraphrasing him. It's tough when you have guys who haven't really performed up to what the standards are. It's tough to move those guys when they're making a bunch of money. And you know, I think he did not anticipate that. And there was sort of this thought, not that they planned on trading Jason Hayward, but I think once the idea came along that Bryce Harper was going to be available, that they could maybe make a run at him. There was a thought that one way or the other, like you're not going to really keep Jason Hayward and Bryce Harper. Uh, it doesn't really make too much sense to have two right fielders of, of that sort of caliber or taking up that much space in the payroll. Um, and, and Hayward's not going to become, you know, a bench guy. So, you know, there were a bunch of things I think at play and it's just a, it's a lot of, it's a timing issue. Uh, but, but again, at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, for whatever reason, something changed fundamentally with the way the payroll was set and the way the budget, what Theo Epstein thought his budget was going to be. And Tom Ricketts talked about this and he said, Theo knows what his budget is. And that's the part that gets me about the whole change thing, because we heard very clearly what Epstein said last year. And yet Tom Ricketts says this year that Theo knows what his budgets are ahead of time. And that wasn't really the sense coming in. So there were a lot of things that shifted and changed. And I think that, that, uh, the situation has, uh, has morphed from what we knew it to be in the past to what it is now. Yeah. And, you know, I guess we, we don't have to uh, beat this dead horse anymore about this, but it's just, yeah, it's one of those things where it was like, people have expectations, you know, this Bryce Harper talk, which, you know, no one in the Cubs, you know, front office really ever elaborated on or anything. It is really an internet creation that everyone's like, well, wait till Bryce is on the Cubs. And the joke kind of built on itself. But I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, if we looked at this more realistically, you know, with the way the Cubs roster is put together, we might not 
you know, might not have been, maybe Bryce wasn't going to fit in with the Cubs. I think people just kind of assumed it would happen. And so now there's kind of this, like reality is hitting and people aren't happy about it. Yeah. And I, and, and, you know, it's, it's even one of these where, and I think it, and it certainly doesn't help that throughout the process, you know, and you're seeing a team like the Padres that traditionally don't have a very big budget that, and it's, it's really weird because I think some people have gone back and forth on, you know, San Diego is not a small city, but as far as being a media market and as far as the revenue that Padres actually generate, is not very big. It, it, it's one of the top, top 10 cities in the United States, but as a media market, I think it ranks like 29th. Um, you know, it's kind of the rest of the, the bigger SoCal city sort of usurp some of that, or I guess I should just say, you know, the Los Angeles area, but they were able to go out and spend 300 million. Now they don't have the other commitments on the board that the Cubs do, but they also don't have nearly the revenue generating power that the Cubs do. And, and I think that's, what's difficult for fans is when you see something like this, you see, this is not a typical situation. This isn't, um, you know, your normal, like a 30 year old, like an Albert Pujols or, or even a JD Martinez, who's a couple years older, a few years older than what Harper and Machado are. Um, which is funny because again, and, and this is maybe part of it though, is people forget so quickly that Jason Hayward was also a transcendent 26 year old. He was, he was the prime free agent. Jason Hayward was the position player free agent of that market. I mean, that was a, that was a massive, you know, the Cubs made a big pay for him, but they actually paid less than what Washington and what St. Louis were going to bid. They were going to go up to 200 million, you know, and the Cubs fell a little bit under that. And, and, but he was kind of one of those guys in that same mold and it was coming off a couple of monster seasons himself. And so, you know, it's, so it's just kind of funny to see what the Cubs have done. And, and, you know, some people say, well, they're afraid of throwing good money after bad or, or maybe bad money after worse, whatever you want to say. Um, it is just a little frustrating though, to watch them kind of after the last season ended to sort of say, yeah, you know what? We're, we're cool with the team we got. We're, we're just totally confident that positive regression will save the day. So um, I guess just cross your fingers and hope that's the case. Yeah. And it's what I was going to ask you about that the whole because last year they did make the moves, you know, for Darvish and Chatwood, but on offense, they pretty much ran the same play they're running this year with, you know, positive, you know, you know, positive regression and, these young guys developing and do you feel good about the young guys this year? Cause last year, a lot of them really didn't develop like we were hoping. So are you worried about this coming in? Um, you know, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think a little bit because there's, and let's go with on the positive side, I'm convinced of, of Chris Bryant's health. I, I think he's, he'll be fine. And we've seen that so far this spring. And, you know, if you think back and it's, it's really, really wild because some people still refuse to believe that his shoulder was actually a problem last year. It's really weird to see like, Oh, Chris Bryant had a down year. You can tell like he clearly had a bum shoulder like that. He spent several weeks on the DL. He, he had to change his swing. He obviously didn't have the power stroke. And what they forget is if you look at his numbers, as of May 19th, when he slid in head first and hurt his shoulder, his numbers to that point were significantly, I don't mean a little bit, I mean incredibly like 10 to 20% better across the board 
than his numbers from his MVP season. You were looking at a guy who could have potentially put up a nine war season, uh, which is just incredible. I mean, he, you know, he was, he was batting over 300, right? His OBP was well over 400. His slugging was close to 600. I think he had a 169, very nice WRC plus. I mean, it was, it, again, these numbers are, are fantastic. And so had he continued at that pace, you're not talking about a broken offense. You're not talking about a disappointing quote unquote 95 win season. The Cubs are winning a hundred games. The Brewers don't catch them. They, you know, there's no wild card game. They host a playoff series. It's a totally different deal. So just that alone uh, is reason for hope. However, we also have to look at Javier Baez. Can he maintain that same kind of MVP caliber season? Uh, even if Darvish is healthy, does Kyle Hendricks come back to be in a Cy Young type candidate does does john lester's age show does cole hamill's pitch like the guy who was in texas at the first part of the season or the guy who the cubs got once they traded for him there are a lot of questions i mean there's a lot of things where it could go much much better and there's a lot of areas where it could go even worse than what we saw and i think that's the real issue that people look at is is baseball is such a wild sport where you can have these deviations from season to season month to month game to game and and that's great, and that's what you can expect. But the Cubs didn't really buy an insurance policy on any of that, other than you know Brad Brock and Daniel Descalso, which that's those guys don't move the needle. They can help; they're nice pieces. Uh, but absent a real significant addition to a team that did have some issues, it, you know, it's a little frustrating to see. So. Yeah, it's totally totally warranted to be a little bit frightened about what this team could do. But at the same time, you can't be faulted for thinking that, yeah, these guys can absolutely come out and be better than they were last year. Either thing could happen. Yeah, I was going to ask, too, about there's this bizarre thing the past few days about Wilson Contreras and his you know playing time and overuse. I mean, he had over 1,000 innings caught. So I think by any like you know fair standard, that's way too much. But then Joe Madden has this press conference where he says that he never caught four games in a row during last season when he did like six times. They still haven't signed any other backup catcher than Victor Caratini. I mean, should we be worried they're going to overuse Contreras again this year? Yeah, I mean, I think you, I think you have to um, when you get the the one the, the crazy thing about Madden is for as much as he's kind of honest uh, and forthright for the most part he's completely missed it. like he, he's not really willing to admit when he's wrong very often and first of all he completely whiffed on the on the stats of Contreras' usage um and, and anybody like if you watch the team at all and if you look at the stats it's obvious like his production completely cratered in the second half just fell apart and among every position on the field, of course, a catcher is, is the most physically daunting, uh, exhausting position to play. And when the Cubs went through that period of over a month when they really didn't have any actual days off, he's still back there catching all the time. And, and it was just silly. And he, I mean, you could see it. You could look at his game, and it was obvious that he just was worn down. He was gassed out. And that's an area where I think it's most obvious that they could have addressed it. You've got Martin Maldonado sitting out here just hoping to get a major league contract 
when several other, you know, you've got all these other catchers taking minor league deals, guys aren't getting any money. You're talking about a guy who won a gold glove in 2017. And I think to me, it's it's very worrisome, not only that, and even if Contreras doesn't end up catching another 1,100 innings or whatever, Carantini doesn't offer the type of, of foil or, or whatever you want to call it, you know, safety net, anything that is actually better in any discernible way other than he can switch hit. Um, he, you know, he's not an exceptional defensive catcher. He doesn't have Contreras' arm. He doesn't have Contreras' bat. You know, there's there's nothing really, and and certainly neither of them is really learning much from one another because they're both still in that run. Contreras hasn't been catching that long. I think that's the thing. He's a converted catcher, and so he doesn't have like this lifetime of experience. Why would you not go out and get a guy, 32, 33 years old, somebody like Maldonado who doesn't have a ton of mileage because he's been a backup most of his career, but his gold glove caliber has been around, you know, people rave about his ability to work with a, a pitching staff, his professionalism. A guy like that could really bring up one or both of them because we saw that with the guys Miguel Montero and David Ross bringing Contreras up. And we saw how those guys had an impact, not always positive, but but firing people up and being able to work with the pitching staff. Uh, you know, even like a Rene Rivera when he was there for a short period of time immediately vibed with Kyle Hendricks and got him on board. And so I, I it just, it, it baffles the mind to me at least. And maybe there's something out there. Maybe there's just something really wild. And, and, and it does lend a little credence to the idea that they really, really don't have any money left in the budget, but I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, here's Victor Caratini, a guy who could probably fetch a decent trade return uh, because of the, the potential that he offers that the Cubs cannot tap into playing him once or twice a week and they could go out there and get a veteran who does offer the kinds of things that Wilson Contreras does not have. And the kind of things that could help him get better uh, that could really impact the team in a meaningful way. And they've not done it. And that's one of the areas where I look at, and I say, you know, I get it. If you don't want to go out and splurge for Bryce Harper, if you really don't believe he can do the things that he can be that all-star type guy every single year. But my God, you can't go out and spend two, three million on a backup catcher like that. That to me is, is egregious. But uh, again, maybe I've just got rolling a little bit too much and I'm, I'm a little bit up in my feels about no, it. No. But it's, it's wild. No, it's one of those like, if you're, if, if you're that tight for cash, then the question you have is, would you have Martin Maldonado or would you go with Daniel Descalzo? And you'd, I think a backup catcher that's a good defensive catcher is more valuable than Daniel Discalzo. Maybe I'm wrong, but well, yeah, and, and and you know, think about it. I mean, the team has you know they're not they're not the the Brewers and willing to play every single player on their team at second base, but they've got a lot of middle infielders. You know, I mean, David Bodie is going to be mainly displaced from third base now that Chris Bryant's healthy. And so you figure, well, his primary infield position then is second base. And he can maybe play a little outfield, but you got Ian Happ wants to play second base. Ben Zobris, now that he's finally back in camp, can play second base. Javi Baez can play second if and when uh, Addison Russell ever comes back or, or whatever. And Russell can play second base. I mean, you could, you have any number of guys who could play second base and shortstop and maybe even third. Um, but then you're going to roll with, you know, this, these this catching tandem and it, it does, it just seems really, and we had heard, that's the other thing we had heard from the beginning of the winter 
that that was a position they were looking for, that they were kind of trying to seek out a backup catcher. And so it's not as if this is something coming from fans who were just like, oh, man, it'd be nice to see. Like, this is has been kind of an issue for a while. And, you know, they've had opportunities to address it. Like I said, there's, there's guys who have been going to teams on minor league deals. These things aren't guaranteed. That's hardly costing them anything. And you can't go out and get that. A guy who's not even on your 40-man roster that you don't have to mess around with until maybe you break camp and then you've got to make some decisions. I, I, it, it's just one of those things. And yet they've loaded up on a bunch of bullpen arms, which is great. That's fine. You know, you can do that, but it just, the backup catcher positions really does seem like something where they could make a meaningful impact and, and have something going on, but uh, they've chosen not to. And again, that's the guys running the team are smarter than I am. And, uh, and I'll defer to them in that regard. It just seems uh, really strange, I guess we'll say, uh, because that's one of them where it just seems so obvious. Yeah. So now I'll bring up the Addison Russell because I've talked to it and I know you've written a lot, but I've talked on my podcast a lot about Russell and like obviously how bad the stuff he did was, the horrible stuff and stuff. But we're putting, I'm going to put that aside because everyone knows how we feel on that. But the clubhouse chemistry with bringing this guy back in and all the, I wrote about it, you know, the, the other players having to answer questions about this, but do we have to worry that the clubhouse chemistry is really going to get hurt by all the distraction that Russell's going to cause? Um, you know, I, I kind of wonder about it. I, I do feel like the, the guys covering the Chicago beat uh, and, and there's some, there's some women out there too. So I don't want to, I don't want to say guys in terms of just men, but it, it does seem like they've, you know, and they, and they tried during that kind of abomination of a press conference um, that, that really would have been just as well served with a written statement because that's really all it was. Um have gone so easy on Russell and the Cubs in that aftermath that I think we've gotten the sense that, that there probably isn't going to be nearly as much. We, we haven't really heard. I know you um, kind of addressed it with a piece about sort of how uh, his teammates are, are handling it. We had had a lot of questions asked of them prior to Russell himself. And I think that was the thing is he had not spoken yet. And so uh, the players kind of all had to act as, as surrogates, unfortunately, you know, his teammates and they were being asked about it, didn't handle it very well. And so whether that's the Cubs asking these guys to sort of leave their players alone or whether that's, you know, the, the, the need to get answers has been satiated because Russell's there in camp and has, and has answered those questions not well, but, but, you know, um, provided a, a, a memorized response over and over again. But I, I think we've now gotten to the point where at least they feel, and until somebody really presses them on it, seems to be the case that they've pretty much put paid to it. It's, it's gone. It's done. It's in the, in the rear view mirror now. And, and whether this is right or not, I don't really think it is because I still don't feel like I don't think anybody who who really paid attention to it is really satisfied with the answers that are there. And certainly with, we've still got a lot of time for Russell to, to have to continue going through this and, and really making this work. But I don't think it's going to be a distraction because I honestly don't think the media is going to make it one anymore. I think the players have, they've answered the questions it's done. And, and I think it's uh, for better or worse going to move forward from this point. Yeah. And I guess the only thing, I guess when he comes back from the suspension, his first game might get attention, but you're probably right. I mean, 
unfortunately, the, the media doesn't seem to be interested or they're taking the Cubs line on it or I don't know. Maybe they think it's they don't want to, you know, anger the Cubs and lose access or whatever. But, yeah, you maybe you're right. But I'm just – it's one of those things where I think a lot of fans, it's going to bug fans anyway, but I don't know. I mean, obviously, as we dealt with um, – when I wrote an article, I just read the comments like, Obviously, there's fans that support Russell no matter what, but you'd think it would just, I don't get the benefit of souring so many fans. I don't, but maybe I'm just on the other side of it. I don't know. Well, and I think what we've seen, you know, with a lot of, of what, and I, I had kind of mentioned it earlier, you know, there's, there's a not insignificant segment of fans that, that have, you know, the Ricketts family has, has bought, no pun intended, their undying gratitude and loyalty for bringing a world series. And so almost nothing they can do will get away from that. There, there are other fans and, and I don't know that this is even, I don't think it's an insignificant portion. There are fans who literally don't care. A player could go murder someone tomorrow and they don't care as long as that guy is going to be fine to play on their baseball team and, and contribute to wins for the baseball team. So, um, and, and that's maybe overly harsh. Um, but but there is that sense, right? And there's there's kind of this domestic violence as and this, as wild as it sounds, a lot of people still view that as like a this is something that goes on between a man and a woman and it's behind closed doors and what happens in their home is their business. And I'm not saying that's right, and I'm not even coming close to that. In fact, it's it's incredibly detrimental to society in general. However, those people don't care. And they are perfectly happy with with anything that Russell has addressed because they really didn't care in the first place. And so there are more than a few people who have commented on, whether it be Facebook, whether it be on our site itself, whether it be on Twitter, to say, why are you still bringing this up? It's old news. It's over. It's done with. He's paid his debt. You know, and it's like that's the furthest thing from the truth. But there are plenty of people that feel that way. And I, and I think they're largely some of the most vocal or sometimes the most populous. And if you think about the things that Tom Ricketts has said, and, and he talks about being, um, you know, one of the most accessible owners or the most accessible owner in professional sports, that's like a line that he's been touting a lot. But when, you know, if you listen to him, if you've talked to him, there's a sense that, and I don't know if this is the overall billionaire thing, if it's just because of the fans that he does speak with, so frequently and interact with that, that have given him this sense that, you know, kind of either he can do no wrong or that the, there's a certain segment of fans, you know, whether it be Cubs convention or whatever, that are just the, the team is what they live and breathe. Um, there, there's this idea. I, I don't think the idea they have of what the fans want is a really accurate perception of the fan base. They've got sort of a whitewashed generic sense of it. And, and this, I'm speaking of ownership, and that is the sense that I've gotten um, that they that they don't really look at the fans from this nuanced perspective of of having an understanding of how the finances work and how arbitration works and and all of these things. And they, you know they'll they'll pay lip service to it and they assume that fans will lap that up and and that it'll be fine. And maybe that maybe that's the case. Maybe they're right. Um, you know, maybe just some of us are are in a, our own little echo chamber and we're the minority just yelling back and forth at each other. And at the end of the day, 
um, you know, that doesn't matter and, and more people are fine with it. I, I don't really know, but it certainly does seem that there's a, a significant enough portion of the fans that, that are okay with a lot of these things. And, and that's going to be the case. Yeah. And it's obvious that for, you know, I don't know how else to put it, that Cubs still think there's value in Russell as a player and they can get him for cheap with arbitration. So, and I guess that's another thing that they actually lowballed the offer to him in his contract tender. So it's almost like it's a bottom line business and there's still value to be harvested from Russell. So we're going to give him another shot. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, which is <laughs> and it's the other thing, which is kind of funny and you, know, you think about it and it's, but it's not like we're talking about a guy who's been hitting, you know, 280 and, and blasting 20 home runs the last couple of seasons. Like he's been hurt. You know, the, the arm has been a problem. Um, and, and some of the throws and some of the pain in his shoulder, his feet have given him issues. His swing has been all over the place and his offensive production isn't what you need. He's still an elite defensive shortstop, but given what he could be from an offensive standpoint, that's not there. And then we had a guy who put up an MVP caliber season, who can also play shortstop? You kind of look at it saying, "Well, gosh, what's you know what what's the value of this?" And and again, I get it, right? It's his value was trash as far as a, a trade candidate. And there's no way to get out from under that. They didn't want to just cut him um, more for business purposes, you know. And and I get the idea, and I, and I truly believe, I really believe, um, certainly Theo Epstein. Uh, is sincere about wanting to be a, a part of the solution when it comes to domestic violence. And I do believe the Cubs with the brand that they have with the marketing power. And I, and I don't mean that they, you know, again, should sell this as commercials, but, but just in terms of uh, how big they are as an organization and, and as a brand really can have some meaningful impact on this issue as it concerns major league baseball or professional sports in general. Right. So I, I really, really believe some of the things that they do can have a lasting impact beyond their organization, the city of Chicago and, and so forth. However, I also believe that that can be done without them employing Addison Russell. Uh, they're, they, they don't have to have him on the roster to help him. Um, and, and while we're on that, and I don't want to get too far afield, but can we just stop with the idea that a man has to play professional baseball in order to provide for his family? That's the silliest thing. Nobody, no, he, nobody, he, he, no, nobody wants to put him in. in yeah. Yeah. He's got yeah, put food he, in his children's mouths. I mean, right. what can he do if he's not a professional baseball player? Like, right, because no other man on the planet has ever supported a family with a position other than professional athlete making millions of dollars, which Addison Russell has already made. He's already made more money in his very young life than a lot of men will ever make in their entire lives. And so, you know, he can still go drive. He, he can take his nice car that he bought with his signing bonus and he can drive for Uber or Lyft and make money. He can go, he can open a restaurant. He can open a, you know, he, he can do whatever he could work at a video store. I don't care what he does. He can make money and provide for his family. He can go coach somewhere. Right. And, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not even saying I'm not even advocating that he doesn't ever get to play professional baseball again. I'm simply saying the Cubs don't have to employ him in order to help him become a better man. And, and at the end of the day, I don't care. I don't care if he bats 200. I don't care if he bats 300 and then wins an MVP. 
And I don't care if he does it in Chicago or Seattle or Anaheim or where. My concern is that he becomes a better man, that he really is legitimately sorry for the things that he has done and wants to improve, and that he is a better father, uh, a better boyfriend or husband or brother or son or whatever, right? Because that's what's important. And if he can do that and provide a positive impact and, and be a positive role model, like, like Ray Rice, what he did was abominable. But in the years since then, he has actually shown contrition for it. He goes around and does speaking engagements. He is sincere about the things that he has done. And unfortunately, that's not something I see with Russell. But if the Cubs can help him to become a sincere individual, then I don't care what he does on the field. I just hope he can have a positive impact in his family and on society. And if that's the case, then, then you know, good for him and good for the Cubs. But at this point, I've seen no signs of that really being the case um it's still very early so who knows maybe that changes yeah and i guess that's all we can really say on the subject until the games start and we see what happens but yeah um so i'm going to move on to well one final question uh just basically joe madden doesn't have an extension beyond this year you know there's been some i wouldn't say the public has turned on him but he's getting a lot more criticism than he did early in his tenure at the cubs um do you what do you think is going to happen with Madden this like after this year? Do you think he's done with the Cubs? Do you think they keep him or you know what what's going to happen with that? You know, I'm going back and forth on this, and and the thing I keep coming back to, and and it's it's you know I've been asked this a lot over the last couple of weeks or a couple of months, and I really think what it comes down to, and and I, and I wrote about this this morning. Uh, in regards to, you know, Madden came out, I think it was Thursday, and and, and talked about setting the lineups and, and how um, he, he wasn't going to set them. And it was, it was weird because the way he first explained it, and then he had to kind of go back and clarify, but he's going to be setting the lineups by series. And so putting those things out in advance, having that out there, which, I, which is clearly, he could say all he wants, that maybe it's his thing, but clearly that's a response to, as you mentioned, Theo Epstein's, uh, postseason press conference where he talked about specifically mentioned, you know, not taking taking it off or, or backing off the effort when you've won the first two games of the three of a three game series, and so setting those lineups in advance basically prevents them from being able to do that. Right, he can't put the B team in there, and he could change it certainly, but can't put the B team in there for the Sunday game uh, if you've already won Friday and Saturday. Uh, and so trying to set that, keep the lines of communication open. Uh, he's going to be spending more time on the field before games rather than just kind of, uh, you know, chewing the fat with the media, which I think he kind of maybe fell in love with a little too much. I, I think he, you know, and this is no fault, uh, but, I, but Madden likes being in the public eye. He, he enjoys being in front of the camera. I think that's obvious. Um, if he can affect some changes, if, if we see, and maybe this sounds corny, but if you've watched this Cubs team over the last several years, you saw visually, it was a different team, 15 and 16. You watch those guys out there playing and, and the way they reacted, the way they interacted with one another, the way they went about their business, their demeanor was different from 17 and 18 and especially last year they they looked at times like they were going through the motions and that's not what we saw um in that world series season and, and that's not revisionist history you're trying to paint it with a different brush. i mean they really they had they carried themselves differently and if you watch them all season you know what i'm talking about 
And if they can get back to that, which is what Epstein talked about, which is what the players have all talked about, um, you know, I, th- I think that will manifest itself in some good production and, and, and more wins and more runs and, um, you know, not the brokenness, but more than the actual result and the wins and losses at the end of the season and whatever happens maybe in the postseason. I think it's it, because the guys who are there day in and day out, like they're going to know. Theo Epstein is going to know. The players are going to know. How how does a team feel about Madden at that point? How is how is he interacting with them? How is he motivating them? And if the front office gets that sense that like, yep, yeah, this is this is the Madden that we got in fifteen and sixteen. This is the guy that we brought in here, and he's that again, um, or or still is whatever. I don't want to say that he's not. I think he gets an extension, but if he's sort of that guy who is more willing to take his foot off the gas, you know, set the cruise control or coast for a while. Um, and, and maybe not kind of get those guys rolling. I think that's when they might see the need to, to make a change and find somebody who can go in a different direction. So it's, it's all about how these guys attack it and, and what they're able to do uh, more so than whether they, you know, whether they live up to Pocota with the 79 wins or, whether they bust out for 105 and, and run to the world series again, I think, I think it's just, it's all about the attitude. Yeah. And that's what that 2016 team, you can almost say, what's that old saying? They, uh, all they do is kick ass and chew bubble gum and they're out of the bubble gum. Right. That was kind of the, the mode the 2016 Cubs had you do. That's the one thing I'll touch on before we go is that, that projection and everyone down on them, you know, maybe that could be a motivating factor. You're, you're already hearing some of the, players talking about they think we're going to be bad and we're not that kind of team and you wonder maybe that'll be motivation you know more than they had the past couple of years yeah and i i really i really think it could be i mean we've already seen them using it putting it at the bottom of the of their workout cards or the lineup cards you know whatever the 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 daily stuff that they've got there in, in mesa and you know this is the first time in a while that we've seen the cubs as potentially legitimate underdogs you know and, and we saw i mean what happened 2015 what happened it was the 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 no hitter that cole hamels threw at wrigley that really spurred that team at that point they were you know kind of floating around 500 and it was kind of like okay we figure you know you'll mail it in the rest of the season no big deal but they took that as motivation and went on this phenomenal run down the stretch from that point because that was late July or whatever, July 25th, maybe, I think. Um, and they, I mean, and the, and the Phillies sucked. I mean, they, they, they were so bad, they traded their ace to Texas right after that. It was right around the deadline. Um, that was Hamill's last start for the Phillies. And the Cubs took that as motivation, went down the rest of the season, ended up winning 97 games, right? Having the third best record in baseball and the third best record in the central division, which mm-hmm. was really kind of wild. And then, you know, rode that to the NLCS well ahead of schedule for what people thought they were going to be able to do. And so, you know, I think then you, you look at what they were able to do there, but then this last season, boy, you saw them and they just sort of, they faced that same sort of adversity and just sort of stumbled and fumbled and, and it, they just couldn't find it. They, this team has dug deep in the second half for several seasons. And last season, I think that was just, that was enough. And, and hopefully, you know, that woke him up a little bit like, Hey, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. You know, you can't always just get down O2 and then work your way back to a hit. Like it, sometimes you're going to get down O2, you're going to strike out. And that's kind of what we saw last year. And so, uh, ideally they, they get a little more aggressive with it. So, um, we'll see, but Hey, if they're, if they're legitimately pissed off, 
Like, and, and that's what they've said they are. Literally, that's what they've been saying. Good. They, they should be. Uh, you know, go out there and have some emotion. So that's what I, that's what I hope to see. I want to see a team that's that's angry a little bit at uh, at the world and, and wants to go out and, like I said, you know, run out of bubble gum and, and resort to kicking ass. Yep. I guess that's a good uh, place to end it on. I think we've solved all the Cubs problems, right? Absolutely. It sounds it sounds good to me. I'm uh I'm, I'm glad to see. Uh, we'll just send this pod to uh to Theo and and Jed and Joe Madden, and and then we can just uh sit back and and watch them cruise to another uh, triple digit win total. That's right. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Always uh always always a good time. Now that spring training is here, we should have some more of these uh, podcasts coming up. Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at STH85. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just look for Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. And um, if you have any questions or anything, usually if you send them on Twitter, I'll be able to answer them quicker. Um, any recommendations for guests you'd like to hear on the podcast or anything, just let me know. The games are going now. Yeah, If you follow me on Twitter, you'll see some of my game recaps of these spring training games, which I know is super fun spring training. But if you're interested in that, give them a read and tell them our next show. Thank you for listening. <laughs>